with the reflections in the morning before we begin the formal sitting practice, we can notice that it's possible for us to rest a substantial proportion of our attention in the body, to be very in touch with the physicality of sitting. And at the same time, we're quite able to hear and understand. So we don't need to go out to what we're listening to. We can stay very close, very centered in the body, (coughs) in the sense of being right here while listening, while comprehending, understanding what's being said, at least if it makes sense, which isn't guaranteed. And so uh, a meditative attention to reflections, instructions, has that quality of being grounded in the body and being receptive. In the practice we are exploring, we are learning what it means to be more and more fully awake, present, aware of just what is happening. This natural awareness that we don't have to manufacture, but which we need to support by consciously orienting towards. Wakefulness isn't something that we do. It's more fundamentally something that we are. And which we learn to more and more fully embody. And we see that there are challenges we encounter in being present, being mindful, being awake and aware. Patterns of activity and reactivity by which we become captured, entangled, or by which the heart and mind become occluded, clouded, or contracted, losing their natural spaciousness and transparency, their natural fluidity and malleability, their capacity to respond creatively to what's happening. And it's useful just to name these, as many of you will be familiar with them, but to name them. They're not just something that happens at the beginning of retreats, or in the early years of practice. Sometimes called the hindrances, which isn't entirely the best translation, (coughs) in my view, because it suggests they're somehow in the way, or obstacles, as opposed to being opportunities, perhaps even gateways to a, a deeper quality of presence, of opening, of wakefulness. And so the first of these is sense desire or the, the wish for, at times the desperate craving for pleasurable experience, flattering experience, enjoyable experience. And just noticing where that arises, the wish for it to come or the wish for it to sustain. Often when the meditation feels calm and quiet, the mind we'll start to think, hmm, great, got it. And we want to keep it because it feels good. And that very activity of trying to take hold of or keep the experience becomes a contraction which ultimately undermines it. 
with desire, the invitation is to let go. It might be some story in the mind about what will bring satisfaction and fulfillment in the future. The practice is to let it go. Not to give it that authority, not to believe the story that says this thing will fulfill me if I get it or if I keep it. Because no thing, no experience, no object has that capacity. So let it go. Relax. See if it might be okay to be with just what is. We can notice the arising of aversion or ill will. The dislike, resistance, rejection of experience. Not wanting it to be here, wanting it to go away. And again, the simple experience of physical pain, the more complex and perhaps challenging realms of difficult emotion, states of mind, to be able to acknowledge when they're unpleasant, difficult, unwished for, and seeing the tendency to resist, reject. And the invitation here, if we can be aware of it, without judging it, without judging ourselves, the invitation is to let it be. So when we think in terms of letting go of the difficult, sometimes we think the difficult should go away. That's what it would mean. But it's letting go of our resistance too. Our identification with the stories of aversion which say to us, that I cannot coexist with this. I cannot be happy or at peace if this is present. And this is also untrue. No object in itself has the capacity to alienate or exclude us from being present. Only with our reaction to it and identification in that reactivity do we become disconnected. And this is the deeper suffering that we associate with the difficult, the unpleasant. (coughs) That it leads to disconnection, to alienation, to becoming separate from our very life in its immediacy, in its vitality, in its fluidity. And what we experience becomes tight or contracted or limited, bound. And so the question, can I let it be? Interestingly, if it's here and you're here, you're already surviving it. So that's evidently possible. That doesn't mean we have to like it. To breathe out. To see if I can give this space. Sometimes we need to ask, how much room does this thing need that I'm experiencing? Noticing the habitual tendency to contract around the difficult, which is inevitably creates an intensification of the distress. If we can find a way to relax and soften, the outbreath can be a real support for this. We can perhaps begin to find some space, knowing that we have permission to move our attention away from that which is challenging, if we need to. But to move it away, when we move away, it's as if we step backwards away from it. Not turning away from it, but giving it more space, backing away, keeping our eye on, so to speak, being still aware of it as we give it space. And if at some point we say that's enough, that's fine too. The hindrance of The challenge of sleepiness arises for us. Drowsiness, heaviness, dullness, thickness. And sometimes it's such hard work being present, it seems, in the face of this. What it usually means is we need to engage. Sometimes heaviness, sleepiness, drowsiness is because we're in need of more rest sometimes appropriate and important to take a little more rest during the day or in the evenings, morning. 
Sometimes sleepiness, heaviness, drowsiness, that kind of fading out into a dull, thick soup of unconsciousness. It's a way in which the consciousness finds an avoidance of something it doesn't want to encounter when we take the other avoidance mechanisms away. And so it can be useful to ask, is there something here I don't really want to experience? If we're still drowsy four days in and we don't have a circumstance of our life that makes sense of that as to why we might still be so. If we haven't slept for the last six weeks, that might be an explanation. It might not be avoidance at all. It might just be sleepiness. But we can check that out and see for ourselves. And so the response, or what's a useful response with that heaviness, dullness, torpor it's sometimes called, sloth, is to engage. First of all, engaging the curiosity, what's going on here. Noticing we can have a lot of aversion to the feeling, experience, what it's like in the body when we have to stay awake <coughs> but feel drowsy is quite unpleasant. It's actually extremely pleasant when we want to go to sleep to feel that heaviness and very unpleasant if we don't. So it's conditionally unpleasant according to what we think is needed here. And what's helpful is to engage, perhaps to open the eyes, to check that the posture is upright, put a little more effort into the uprightness of the body. Sometimes standing up can be useful. And there's a practice that I find reliably helpful. I'd like to invite you to just explore a little for yourself just now. With drowsiness, I've, I've used this a lot. And uh, so just for now, if you take a moment to feel the palms of your hands, bring your attention into the palms of your hands, and then into your shoulders, just wherever they are, and with your attention in your shoulders and your palms, seeing maybe the whole arm, gently allow your arms to rise up into the air. You can do this right now. Ideally, the elbows will get above the shoulders, but at least to shoulder height. If this is okay for your body to do, if you have an injury that says, I can't do this, just do what's okay for you. If you lift them up, and you could possibly even just gently move your shoulders back, sorry, your elbows backwards. And what you notice is that that requires a little bit of effort, and it's not that difficult. Over a little bit of time, it requires a bit more effort. Yes, we can notice that. This is not a posture in which you can hurt your body. There's no stress or pressure being placed upon it beyond the engagement of the muscles. And almost anything can happen in meditation. There are no guarantees. We'll never tell you if you do this, absolutely something else will happen. But on this occasion, I will guarantee that you will not fall asleep with your arms held in the air like this. <laughs> if you really want to stay awake, this will do it. And not only that, but it opens up by engaging the shoulders and the neck. It opens up that territory. So if you want, you can slowly put your arms down now. And really feel what it's like in your shoulders, in your arms, in your hands as you return them to your lap. And what it feels like through the torso. I notice straight away a quality of vitality that comes from the physical effort of raising and holding the arms. And the engagement of those muscles through the shoulder invites them to release and allows the blood flow and the movement of energy that sometimes is restricted by contraction in the neck and shoulders, allows that to flow more freely. Having all done it together, of course, we don't now need to be at all embarrassed about doing it, because we've all done it. And if you find it useful, you're very welcome to employ that. I've spent many long periods of practice with my arms in the air. <coughs> it's incredibly helpful sometimes.
and at a more subtle level with drowsiness, sleepiness, give more attention to the in-breath. Don't give so much attention to the out-breath. We tend to fade away on the out-breath as we relax with it. So again, tuning into the engaged side, the engaged aspect of the breathing cycle. Restlessness is the next challenge we may encounter, that sense of can't quite settle, can't quite sit, mind or body wanting to go somewhere. We've spoken some about this. It's good to just see if we can make space for the experience. It is not harmful to us to feel restlessness. I think Jack Cornfield used to say, you know, see if you can be the first yogi to die of restlessness. It's never happened. Perhaps it's not how we'd wish to be remembered. <laughs> I don't think there's too great a risk. Restlessness is like an imbalance of energy where there's more energy and not enough calm. It's just drowsiness is sometimes the opposite. A lot of calm, not much energy. With restlessness, we need to relax generally. Soften. Be aware there's often some way we're putting pressure on ourselves, consciously or unconsciously, to produce or perform or achieve or attain something. And we may not even be aware of it. To produce or to perform or to attain something in the way of experience. Give more attention to the out-breath, not so much to the in-breath when restlessness is present. Let the field of awareness be wide, expansive, including the body and the space around it. So give what is there plenty of room to do what it's doing, knowing it is a wave of energy that will pass. And if we act on it, we simply fuel and reinforce it. Sometimes standing meditation is a great posture to meet restlessness in. And the fifth challenge we encounter at times is when we stop, when we lose confidence in the ability to be present and the, func- in the, in the effectiveness, the efficacy of our practice or our own capacity to engage in it call this doubt, skeptical doubt. Really important to notice if it arises saying, I can't do it. Everyone else that's doing it, it's not working for me. Ah, that's down. Hmm. There's some part of us for whom meditation doesn't work because actually from a personality point of view, it doesn't get us what we want. Damn. But that's not really what it's trying to do at the heart of it. So where that arises, to see if we can just come back to our intentions. To trust in the power of our intention. To be more present, more awake, more open, kindly, and curious about what's here. And the interesting thing about doubt is that it presents as if we're not sure, but actually the underlying message is, I'm absolutely sure this doesn't work. I'm absolutely sure I can't do this. And it's not true, because we are doing it. So we can doubt the doubt. Just raising a question, hmm, is that so? Let's see. Not having to argue with it. I can do it. It is working. That's not going to get us far. But really? Is it really like that? Hmm, let's see. And with all of these, to be very aware that as our practice deepens, sometimes particular hindrances arise precisely because the practice is deepening, not because it's somehow gone awry. 
it's not insignificant to note that on the night of the Buddha's awakening, he had them all. Within hours of his full liberation, they were all there in their glory. So maybe hindrances arising, challenges arising as a sign of something possible for us right here to awaken in the very midst of this life. So let's settle back in to this flow of experience right now, right here. This movement of life revealing itself as we sit. These soft, organic human bodies. Or we may be standing or kneeling. But letting the the field of bodily experience be the, the ground in which we establish ourselves. Establishing awareness as a field of organic, natural knowing that simply takes place when we're not somewhere else, distracted or lost. Our work is to again and again come back to this. Remember this. Cherish this. Body sitting, breathing. Sounds arising and passing. And the silence which enfolds them. Perhaps we notice that the sounds do not disturb the silence, but in fact reveal it. find patterns of thinking or states of emotional process arising, seeing if we can step out of the storyline and into the simple noticing stories, planning, projection, fantasy, worry, or naming the simple emotional texture that may be present of sorrow, joy, delight, boredom, coming into the body to notice what that feels like too. And finding what's useful for you in this moment, in each moment, where the balance between focusing with a quite particular intention towards a specific aspect of the experience, perhaps such as the breathing, or the feeling of your bottom pressing into the earth. Noticing when and where for you, exploring when that is what's useful, and when at times it's more useful to allow the open space of awareness, to simply receive, to naturally notice just whatever is here. Notice the presence of these challenges that we've mentioned. Equally noticing their absence. Noticing the quality of simple presence itself. Transparent and ungraspable, yet tangible, knowable. More and more resting in this simple wakeful presence. Just one moment at a time. Just one experience at a time.
We're moving very much into the, let's say, the, the heart of the retreat, the period of time when we're beyond the first few days of landing and arriving, and we're still a long, long, long way away from those sort of uh, getting engaged with coming towards the end of it days. And so it's a really precious time. Part of what allows our practice to deepen and the, the richness of what it has to offer to become available to us is the, the way we kind of hold or allow ourselves to contain in an expansive way, in a spacious way, but contain the energies that arise in our experience, the, the various pushes and pulls that we encounter in the inner life of heart and mind and, of course, in body too. So that we notice the <coughs> arising of these challenges, of can call hindrances. They're only hindrances to being able to deepen in samatha, in calm. Calm doesn't increase in the presence of these, but they're not hindrances to insight. We can learn an incredible amount from the ability just to sit with the experience. And one of the ways that's really supportive of allowing us to do that is the way we don't just follow through our impulses. So we have to contain the urge to say something about something. And sometimes it's really useful to give attention to containing the way that urge to say something or ask something arises through a pen and a piece of paper. Because it can sometimes be, it's really necessary and important for us to communicate something because we, we need some practical help or we're really struggling in our practice and not sure how to handle what's going on, maybe overwhelmed by, or nearly overwhelmed by something challenging. Then that's an appropriate use of that reaching out with a note. But other times it's more, oh, I've just kind of been wondering about this topic. Maybe, you know, maybe the teachers could say something about it. And, it's fair enough, but there's something useful in just saying, okay, what if I just notice this is a topic of interest for me? You may choose to raise the topic at a group meeting, but it's probably not necessary to say, you know, the things that we could say or bring them forward in that way all the time. So just being aware of that movement of, of, of coming forth into writing a note. Does, is this really needed here? Might it be more useful to hold whatever that energy is? Not tightly, but in a kind of way of, okay, let me see, what's it like to handle whatever's in this for me? The, the wish to know. Many questions of, in a way, best left unanswered. Just acknowledging I'm interested in this territory. Some questions can't be answered. And the Buddha was kind of interesting in his, his, his range of responses. Sometimes he wouldn't even say a word. When someone asked him a question, he'd just sit there silent. And it's like, hmm, okay. Now, if you didn't hear back from a note you wrote to us, it doesn't mean we're giving you the cold shoulder. We might have lost it. That happens sometimes. It might be that we're not sure we can answer it or that maybe we think it's useful for you to just stay with the question. But many of the things that do come in notes seems could also be raised in a small group meeting. So see what's possible for you with that. Individual interviews. I just again want to name that I didn't do the math when we spoke about it yesterday, but there's three of us. We can probably offer around a dozen each of these next four or five days. For you do the math, that means there isn't quite enough for everybody to have one probably. Well, actually, there isn't generally. Generally, not everyone needs one. But if you've had one, just to be aware that unless there's something quite extreme happening or we've said to you we think it's important for you to have another, then to leave the space for others who haven't yet had the opportunity. And we'll do rather a lot of them on the last day, so if it, your opportunity hasn't happened yet, there will be further opportunities coming. Group interviews will continue this morning. For those of you who had a group interview two days ago, you'll have one today. If you haven't checked the board, it's interesting how our minds get a little sort of 
less clear and focused about dates and times as we go with this practice. And it's fine and good because we're inviting you to let go of those referencing of always what day is it, what time is it, what's going on, where am I supposed to be? Because actually, it's always right now and you're always right here. And that's enough information for your practice. But as far as coming to the group, a little more information is needed, which is when and where the group is and when and where I am in those more familiar frameworks. So do please check. It's really helpful if, um, if you can make it to the groups at the times. And we're grateful that you do. It serves and supports us as well as everyone in the group and the whole retreat. This afternoon at uh, 3.45 there will be uh, some further instruction and guidance with the practice of cultivating metta, loving kindness and friendliness. And uh, they will continue through the uh, afternoons in that period over the next few days. We've noticed that our group interviews take quite a while and this is actually not a bad thing because there's a lot of richness in what's being explored but what it means is that we've been getting a little too close to the edge of not quite getting here on time so we'd like to ask for a practice leader for the 11.30 sitting and I'm um, just wondering if there might be someone or um, thank you Marlon someone who would be happy to come and sit here and just ring the bell at 12 o'clock and there will be further opportunities for this um, so we'll, we'll organise that going forward a little more in advance but thank you and uh, any of the seating arrangements or bring your own very welcome, thank you so continuing in the practice of the walking and the, the moving through the day, it's rather beautiful, sunny, clear day. Still kind of cool out there, but uh, you know, sometimes walking meditation, instead of lifting, moving, placing, it could be sliding just a little bit forward, then a little bit forward, then a little bit forward. And outside it can be a real support for mindfulness, because actually you have to be mindful when it's slippery. So if you don't feel safe in that, of course, I'm not saying you should do that. But if you'd like to explore a slightly different version of the walking practice, um, I certainly find it's really nourishing to be outside. And to, if that means walking more normally, but uh, and maybe over a longer track to keep a little warmer than super slow walking might produce for you, that's absolutely fine. Again, finding that balance between a more refined and particular attention to the detailed moment-by-moment experience and a kind of more open and spacious embracing of the fullness, the fluidity and the, in a way, the indivisibleness of experience, of wakefulness that actually embraces it all and yet is sometimes supported by being quite particular and precise, and how and to what we attend. And sometimes we need more of one, and sometimes more of the other. And this is the learning of our journey, amongst other learnings, in which we find balance, the middle way. So it's time now for some group meetings, and for the rest of you, walking or Standing or both, if you wish. And the next sitting will be at 10 o'clock, beginning, in fact, not the next sitting, the next period of formal group practice together in the hall, it's more of a mouthful really, will begin with some standing and uh, then sitting or standing as you wish. So, again, if those who have a group could be allowed to leave first and then uh, they can begin quite soon. Thank you.